0: Hello, friends. Nico here from the GeekCast Live, and you are proudly listening to the Movie Podcast Network.
1: Hey there, Cartoon Joe here. If you like what we do, head on over to Patreon.com for special extras and crispy num-nums that you can get for just a few dollars a month. That's Patreon.com slash GeekCast
2: Live. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or YouTube, or follow us on SoundCloud. Be sure to comment, like, review, leave cynical comments, or call Nick mean names.
3: He likes when you do that. Like books? Hate to read? Have ears? Like to listen? Well, we have a solution. Audible.com, where there's over like a million or something books that you can listen to with your ears. Go to audible.com slash geekcastlive for a nice kick in the pants. We'll do it live!
0: It's a trap! <laughs> you All
3: right, it you up, up, up. modesty sucks. <laughs> Episode 428 of the Geek Cast Live Podcast. I'm your host, GCR, and with me as always, Rob Bass. Ready to work. And Cartoon Joe. A fantastic old school Warcraft uh, sound drop, Nick. It was good. Thank you. Wonderful.
0: Loktar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my man Loktar. Totally forgot.
3: <laughs> I think my favorite is, um, What You Want Me Do? What You we Do? It's a good one. Rob, did you ever play
2: the old school Warcraft? Uh, I played a little bit of it. Uh, I think it was Warcraft Three was the one that I played. I played a lot more StarCraft uh, okay. than I did Warcraft. You would. So I, I, it was a lot of like uh, you must build additional <laughs> pylons, or you need more pylons, oh. or pylons. Construct additional pylons. pylons. Quick, there we go. <laughs> I got uh,
0: that. A, I got. I got that a That was a, lot. a good, a good game i Android. Android both. both. Both were really both. good. Yeah. But uh, War. I was more Warcraft than Starcraft at that level, and just some fond memories of too much time in front of an old computer. Yes. With the the yeah. monitor. The monitor
3: has like vacuum tubes in it.
0: Mm-hmm. It I weighed forty five pounds.
2: Command and Conquer. Uh, did you guys play any of that? It was a similar vein as those types of games. Yeah, uh, i never
0: I think did War, i think warcraft kind of carried the torch for its time period warcraft oh, dominated i
2: am not saying that at all i'm just I, I also played a lot of command and conquer it was a really really uh fantastic rts series as well
1: like I, you
3: know what? you know what i never got into was like a sid luckman's civilization um, whatever it was
1: yeah it's the Here. same thing but without the fantasy skin
2: I uh, I don't know. I played a bit of those as well. There's a there's one that I play more recently that's called Stellaris, which is like that except across a galaxy, and you get to make alien races and play them. It's really a what's, lot less fun. What's I was never
0: patient enough for any of those Civilization world builder type I games. Know,
2: I love it, all about it.
0: What was the What's the game, Rob? That um,
3: had all this fanfare and hype, and just was a total fucking no man's no man's sky. No Man no man's sky. That's, That's it. the one. Whatever happened with that? I mean, is it? Are they uh, trying to? Are they trying they had... to re-release it? Is it back in beta? Is it?
2: No, I just think they done? released a couple of patches, but at this point in
1: time, they've completely
2: I, destroyed a base. The, like their, their base. I would say
1: I hear that I hear the patches are great, but no one's playing them.
2: Yeah, because they really? just they just set fire to their initial fan base and nobody wants to pick up the game anymore because it just had terrible terrible reviews.
1: yeah it, it was it was like we're a pizza company that only makes cheese pizzas and they came out with like a pizza that was just sauce
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay okay yeah <laughs> you know I'll, they're I'll still
0: making oh, i'm sorry
2: oh no it's been allowed continue
0: I was just thinking back <laughs> to that time period. Do you know that there's, I think they're still making Leisure Suit Larry versions. Seriously? Apparently. Wow. Leisure
3: Suit I thinking, Larry. I was thinking
0: about games well. t- that were played in 1991.
3: Yeah, I, I, there was a uh, – it was Warcraft, sure. and then I remember uh, on Tuesday nights when my folks went and got wings at the local bar, we were shipped off to another family's house, um, and they had – uh, Sim City, like just the original oh, God. Sim City. Yeah. And, uh, I want to
0: make a football stadium!
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was always...
0: You weren't allowed to go to Pino's night?
3: No, no. Well, I, well no. No, 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 no. Definitely not. They would always uh, they would always bring, like they would order wings and then we'd pick them up on the way to where we were dropped off. And then we would eat. And then they would go to the bar. It was on Tuesday nights. Mm. They don't. Uh, the Pinos isn't even open anymore.
0: Really? really? Mm-hmm.
3: Finally, crapped out, huh? Well, he went from doing wings on Tuesdays to wings on Tuesdays and wings on Thursdays. Then it was just wings broke on Tuesdays. The whole mystique. Wings on Tuesdays, wings on Thursdays, and then Friday and Saturday he did like steak dinners. And it was – I mean it was legit. You'd get like a uh, like a tower of onion rings, a really good salad, a well-cooked steak with a baked potato. Um, and it was packed. Um, but he was uh, – it was Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He wasn't open Sundays. It, it just – it turned into like more work than he could handle. Mm. And, then, and then he decided that uh, – um, you know, just set fire to the place for the insurance money, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so he just got overstretched. But we have wings again in town. They're just at a different bar. Same sauce, same everything. It's just uh and I think they're better. But perfect. Enough, enough about all this local talk. Good, you nice. Have come yeah, to the side of Wubba dub dub. Speaking of Wubba Lubba dub dub, uh, Rick and Morty back. It is yes. What did you it guys is. think of the second episode?
1: Uh. You know, it was fine.
3: I think are you gonna there, be like are you going to be like ultra critical of it now? Is that a thing we're doing?
1: I'm not going to be ultra critical of it. it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's just uh, that first that first episode of this of season 3 I watched like 10 times in in 2 days because it was so good. And this was just a big letdown from that. I mean, it was it was good. It, I mean, so, I don't know what oh, I was so, expecting. So you built the height. Joe, are up, you yeah. trying
0: to are you trying to phase me strategically out of this program? <laughs> 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 See what you're doing. There. So is that a yes? Just if, if you. Just yeah, that was like that, that was that was even a sensible chuckle. That was like an evil chuckle. No, I'm not. I'm not trying to get you out of the program. Are you sure? Yes. You yes. angsty fuck.
1: <laughs> it's, I'm angsty about one thing.
0: It's a no, thing you've be, you be, you become cynically critical guy, and I have a certain role to play here.
2: <laughs> Nick's feeling inadequate if that's what he's saying.
1: I'm sorry. If if I thought you were going to watch it, I wouldn't be cynical critical guy about it.
0: <laughs> that's fair.
1: I liked it. It made me laugh. Yeah, I love I love uh, the wind calling Jerry a loser. Loser. I like I to imagine... Gonna a, I think
2: that's going to be a recurring thing this season, too. I,
1: I hope so. I, I like to imagine that Rick has somehow created some type of weather thing that does nothing else but make the wind call Larry a lo- Jerry a loser.
3: I, I really like that when it first happens in the episode, and he's, he's standing in like... Um, uh, he is uh, going through a divorce dad. Yes. And that's exactly how he's dressed.
1: Mm-hmm. He's
3: dressed as... Guy who's only got like a piss stained mattress and a lamp in the movie truck.
1: He might be a 19th century newsie or he's (laughs) a 20th century dad going through a divorce. Yes. And the leaves blow and the wind says, loser.
3: And he says, (laughs) he says, what? Uh, Hello? (laughs) 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 And then at at the, there's, they do the show, and then they do the credits, and then there's always like a end credit, scene, like a flintel right? scene.
1: A what? A flintel scene? Is that what uh, they're called? I Are you, know. Did you just make that up? No, That's well, a straight. I believe. I believe the flintel is actually the when the episode keeps playing over the credits at the end of the show in The West Wing.
0: I you pulled that
1: overstretched that word way out of your
3: ass. I think a flintel is the plastic bit at the end of a shoestring.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I would. I would mm-hmm. allow it. I believe it. If we Normally were playing, the name no, of it's,
0: the, it's the it's uh, the removable little pod from the Keurig machine that you have to clean with the filter. <laughs> <in it. laughs> if we were playing balderdash, who would win? You think? Uh, well, you with, sold with, that pretty hard. Except I actually know that what the name of that end of the shoelace string is, even though I can't think of it. I know that it's not flintel, so <laughs> um, so that would otherwise you would have had me. The, it's actually the
3: French dubbing of the movie Lentil.
2: ah the frontal frontal. i get it
3: anyway so they show jerry at like his his apartment complex mailbox and i'm talking to nick right now because you guys have seen it but and he opens it up and he he pulls out two envelopes and then all of a sudden there's like is it like a wolf and the the wolf's like (laughs) growling at him and he's like oh hey well oh what's going on i I got some like some food you want some chips the wolf doesn't want the chips the wolf wants his unemployment checks. <laughs> and so finally he gives them to the, the, to the wolf. The wolf, che- the wolf chews them up, then just spits them out and then walks away. And he just kind of looks at this pile of wet, destroyed unemployment checks, and you hear in the background,
1: <laughs> it's so sad.
0: It's so sad. sad. It's so I'm good. Mike, you need it's to be watching
2: Morty. <laughs> well, <laughs> if it would well, come
0: actually, on an actual channel, I would watch it. Do uh, you have Hulu? Cartoon Network. No, who the fuck No, I don't have Hulu. Why don't you have Hulu? <laughs> oh, you Hulu? just made
3: me put a beam and coke right in my nose with that.
4: <laughs> oh,
3: that burns. I need like a neti pot. <laughs>
4: uh,
3: no, I don't have Hulu. Like somebody just asked if you had to fucking <laughs> clap. Or right, like, hey, do you have syphilis? No, I don't have no, syphilis. No, motherfucker, How dare you ask me? <laughs> uh, no, do I do not. How dare you, Hulu? Right. Well, let me answer all you, you as I clutch my
0: pearls. <laughs>
3: oh, my well, nose is, is on fire. Now?
0: Do I look like I'm from West Virginia? Fucking, fucking Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Appalachian Internet.
1: <laughs> what is
3: that? Is it ran by the like? What controls it? The wind? Coal, probably.
0: Yeah, yeah a, it's co- coal powered. Like the like coal mafia, coal conglomerate.
1: A nice coal fired whites and coal coal fired web browser, also known as Internet Explorer. I think
3: say also known as Internet Explorer. <laughs> no,
1: <but> Bing. <laughs> coal powered <laughs> search engine. Ooh, a search engine. Like baby. Nice.
0: Oh,
1: Dad
3: downloaded another toolbar today. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> to his desk desktop or to de- his already when- over overbarred browser. He's get
3: uh, his search engine or his browser of choice. Uh, comes complete Firefox. Now. It comes complete now with five different. He's got five different toolbars up at the top. How does he do yeah, that? save him from him himself. does he
1: like, use it for Facebook and chess? <laughs> well, that's well and also-, also to get to Yahoo News. <laughs> he, he today,
3: uh, the, uh, the, our our work com- it's our work computer, and the program we use for work shut down. And rather than shut down, like restart just that program, he goes and he goes to shut down the whole computer. And the OG and I are standing behind him, and we say, "You don't have to shut down the whole computer. You could just shut down just the the program." And he says, oh, "Okay, yeah." And then just he like he says, "Okay, yeah." And then he looks at us and clicks the shut down <laughs> the computer button. Like <laughs> I, I, we looked at him like Rob. I actually then Vin- vintage. I, I used I used oh. your line, Rob. The uh, uh well, because then what we said was. Like what? what did, why did you do that? Why did, we just told you? And then what? And he says, uh, "I didn't know how to. I don't know how to do that. And you'd have to teach me." And and I, I used the uh, uh, build a man a fire, he's warm for the evening. Set a man on fire, he's warm the rest of his life. <laughs> 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 it's just a so straight, good, man. straight Rob based, a beautiful line. And the first time I heard you use it in context, it's like a an angel getting its wings.
0: <laughs> uh, that's, that's a good one.
3: Uh, well, we have a we do have a guest tonight. We do indeed. Thank God. It Thank God. Yeah, because otherwise we'd be telling
0: strange local anecdotes for an hour. Right, talking about wings and fucking in, in high school. White trash internet.
2: Local
1: anecdotes.
0: Strange local anecdotes. <laughs> strange local anecdotes. Nice. You played <laughs> synth, synth in that one, right? I did. Hand coats?
3: Hannah.
0: Ham coats? Place. Only in oh, somebody said something though. about making hand coats, and I just didn't know what that was. I
2: think this is called gloves. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> hand, <laughs> co- <laughs> hand,
0: coats, hand coats don't
2: <laughs> hand coats don't cover your uh, I know
3: your, that I'm the one that generally makes words <laughs> up, but uh, hand coats don't generally cover all your fingers. Mm. Sorry, that's a hand cloak. Mm. That oh.
2: makes sense. Yeah, hand cloak seems like it would be nice and uh, nice and snug, you know. What a hand cloak! Uh, no, a coat. A cloak's gonna be all breezy and shit.
3: Very, uh, <laughs> very Middle Earth ranger.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. yeah. Ooh, who's in the background? That's fun. Oh, I
1: don't know. Probably some children fun. screaming in the other room. Not Are you me.
3: Playing some sort of what were you like a game?
1: Uh, I was playing Trivial Pursuit before I came here, but came to the podcast. It is, but they're probably playing uh, Sonic Racing on the Wii. Hey, uh, when you when you when you get
3: done, ask them if they know anything about Bell Gunness.
4: <laughs>
1: if they're still up when I'm done, I will.
3: Yeah, it's a fantastic story. Uh, my man, uh,
1: is it Aaron lore, Makey? Oh.
3: My my man from Laura taught me about Bell Gunness, and then I actually on a totally unrelated podcast, uh, heard about her again in, in more detail. They have a whole festival and stuff there in the port for her.
0: That's so
1: weird. Interesting. Go on. It's like the yeah. most Indiana thing I've ever heard. Nothing ever happens here except serial Spot murder. Spot on. <laughs> he, uh, Better have a festival. This was
3: way back in the day. She found that, well, her husband uh, died, and she, got, she inherited his whole estate, which was a, a pretty big farm
1: oh, there in woman. the port. I yeah. forgot about her name. I forgot her name. And, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, and then so what she did is she would actually put advertisements in like St. Louis, Chicago, St. Paul newspapers saying like attractive young Polish woman who needs a man around the farm. Um, they would contact her. She would contact him back and say basically liquidate everything you have. Come with money and don't tell anybody where you're going and I'll pick you up at the train station. And he would pick the he, she would be there. She'd pick him up. They'd go back to the place. She'd take all the money, murder him, bury him in the, on the farm, and then uh, go back to the train station and pick the next one up.
2: And they yep. have a festival for her?
3: Oh, uh, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: That's amazing.
1: It's like, like awful,
2: but in terrible. That's but- the most <laughs>
1: American gods thing you've ever heard outside of American gods. I know. <laughs> like, what fantasy world do we live
3: in? That's
1: weird, isn't it? <laughs> Indiana,
3: Rob. Touche. <laughs> anyway Since we just <laughs> talked about serial killers I don't, uh, We do have a guest He is ready uh, Add him to the call right. Fantastic right.
2: As soon as I right. can
3: find out how Add people to this call
2: I believe in you You can do the thing
3: Oh thanks man Appreciate you believing in
1: me like that.
2: You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Moral support.
1: Hello. 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 Welcome.
4: Thank you. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing just fine. A little bit worn out because I just got back from Bangor. <laughs> Fantastic.
3: Oh. So, uh, we are very excited to have you on the show because this is this might be as close to Stephen King as us four poor souls ever get <laughs> oh you never know <laughs> well we might we might meet we might run into them someday i need to get out side. i need to get out to maine more well, <laughs> i'm I'm, I'm, I'm ryan and i've got three co-hosts with me i've got rob hello and nick hi there hey, nick. and and joe howdy howdy hey joe And if you would like to uh, introduce yourself and list your credentials for our listeners, that would be wonderful.
4: Okay. Uh, My name is Bev Vincent. Um, uh, I'm the author of a few books that are related to the Stephen King universe. Uh, My first one was called The Road to the Dark Tower. and That one came out just after the seventh book in the Dark Tower series. Um, That was followed up a few years later by a book for Barnes & Noble called The Stephen King Illustrated Companion, which was essentially a reader's companion. Uh, that covers his books and how his biography ties into what he was writing at the time. And the cool thing about that book was that King let us go into his archives and reproduce some very rare documents, pages of manuscripts and uh, unseen short stories, things like that. And those are included in the book. And That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a nice book. It was a real pleasure to work on. And then I did a follow-up uh, called The Dark Tower Companion, uh, the Road to the Dark Tower was really aimed at people who had finished reading the series and wanted to go back and revisit it with me and sort of let me show them through my interpretations and impressions of connections and things like that. The Dark Tower Companion I wrote when the movie was first announced. and I thought that there would be an audience of people who came to the Dark Tower not through the books, but through the movie or through the Marvel graphic novels. And this was a companion so that they could go back and say, well, who is that? What does that mean? What's this character? What's this place? And it covers the books, uh, all of the Marvel graphic novels up to that point, um, what we knew about the movie at the time, and there's, there's a lot of interviews in it as well. In addition to those, uh, I've also done a number of uh, short stories, Um, I write an essay for Cemetery Dance called The uh, News from the Dead Zone that appears in each issue of their magazine, and there's also an online element to it. And then with Rich Chismer, we're doing a project called Stephen King Revisited, and Rich is the publisher of Cemetery Dance. He's going back and rereading all of King's books in order, and writing about his impressions as he remembers them from the first time he read the book, and his impressions in the modern era. After reading it again, and I'm writing uh, what we're called historical context essays, which talk about what King was doing at the time when he wrote the book that Rich is reading, what his influences were, how it all ties together. Wow, that's a project there. Yeah, I guess the, the, taking the first... us a long time to get through it. But uh, when we're all done, we should have a, a nice thing that we can then bundle together into a book when we're finished.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty uh, broad and diverse package. Uh, I guess the first obvious question is, you know, what can you trace your, the origins of your? I, I say fascination in the good way, but sure. your fascination with with King and his works—it's so a high level of passion.
4: Well, yeah, it is, and it all came about by by luck. Although I probably would have fallen into it eventually, anyway. Uh, 1979, I was. Uh, University student, uh, I used to go to the secondhand bookstore that was down the street from my residence every Saturday to pick up a bunch of books. And at the time, I was reading mostly science fiction fantasy, but I saw this uh, black covered paperback on the end cap of one of the stands, and it rang a bell. It seemed to me that I'd heard somebody talking about Salem's lot before, but I didn't know what it was about. So I just added it to the stack. And I Would say that I was hooked from the beginning. Uh, That book then sent me in search of everything else that was available up to that point which wasn't a lot in 1979. Uh, The the Dead Zone was just coming out and so I then started following along as each new book came out. At first I waited for the paperbacks because I was a poor college student and eventually I couldn't stand that anymore and I started buying hardbacks for the first time and I've been carrying on ever since. I would say that, you know, the stories themselves are obviously clever and gripping, but I was taken in by the sheer brilliance and aptitude he had for creating characters that he could make you care for or hate or admire or whatever. There's just a facility in his ability to create characters that I don't know many other authors can reproduce.
0: And then the, the natural follow-up to that then would be how, when you decided you wanted to make this your your venture, how were you able to secure such, I guess, unprecedented access?
4: Yeah, that's one of those things that you can't really map out or plan out. It just happened. Uh, in the 1990s, when the internet was starting to expand, there was this thing called the Usenet. And it was sort of like the precursor to Reddit. It was a text-based place where there were themed... Areas, news groups, they were called, and so there was King. So if you were a Stephen King fan, you go there and say, "Oh, I just read this new book, or I've got this question." And one of the things I guess that made me stand out was, is if somebody asked a question, and if nobody knew the answer right away, I would, if I didn't know the answer, I'd go look it up. Uh, and so I sort of gradually grew the reputation of being a know-it-all just because I had access to some reference books that I could look things up. Uh, That came to the attention of some other people uh, because the internet was new and people were sort of looking at these things to see, you know, what's the marketing possibilities, what what does this mean? And so the publishers started sending me information that I could disseminate through the news group. And that then sort of... uh, when Cemetery Dance came back from a hiatus period, they decided to relaunch their King News column. And Rich Chismer knew that I was doing this stuff for free, you know, on the internet. And he asked me if I was interested in writing their King News reviews and uh, sort of ruminations, you know, what's going on in the King world column. And I thought, well, sure, why not? I'm doing it for free. I might as well put it all on paper and uh, capture it for posterity. And that's sort of what got me started.
1: Wow. That's amazing.
4: Yeah, that's I mean,
3: you know, to to have a an, uh, an appreciation of books, to have an appreciation of reading. And when I when I read King, I it's it's hard not to be totally engrossed in his writing. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine being let into it, almost like the Vatican archives to see, to see old, you know, to see reference material or, or unreleased documents. I, I, that would be, that's like a kid in a candy f- factory, which didn't come out right.
4: Yeah. But, but that's what made the, the Stephen King illustrated companion. So great was it was a $25 book, a, a massive hardcover. It's one of these ones you see at the front of the store in their gift area. Often you can get it for 12 bucks And in it were all of these reproductions. And the company that produced this went to great pains to make them look like the originals. So you feel like you're handling the original manuscripts. You know, the first draft versions of sections of The Shining, uh, when it was still called The Shine or Dark Shine. Uh, Some of the... uh, rare uh, comic book uh, stories that uh, King published that, you know, nobody's ever seen or very few people had ever seen before. And they just feel like the real thing. So it's, it's a real uh, experience, a tactile experience to, to see them.
3: Knock my microphone off the desk. That would have been loud. <laughs> so I get, I mean, million dollar question then when it comes to the dark tower, Mm-hmm. is it the do you consider it the penultimate work of, of American fiction or
4: well, I, mean, I don't are, know how that goes as far as of American fiction but certainly it's I mean, King refers to it himself as his magnum opus it's certainly it's, sure. it's like King's great work and, and the reason that I decided to write about it when I did The Road to the Dark Tower was I'd been writing about King for so long in cemetery dance that people kept saying well when are you going to do a book about King's work and I sat back and, you know, you look at the bookshelf and there's like 30, 40 books on, on one shelf and then there's a few more in the next one. you think, oh my God, that's a life's work. I, I couldn't even imagine tackling the whole thing. But then when I found out that he was going to finish the Dark Tower series in one fell swoop, he was going to write the last three books back to back. I thought, but here is something that has occupied the vast majority of his writing career. He started working on it before he even started writing Carrie. And, you know, well into the 2000s, he's still working on it at regular intervals throughout his career. I said, this is manageable. This is the microcosm of the whole career. And I can look at this and then look at all the tentacles that extend from it into all of the other books and sort of maybe say something meaningful about the bigger picture.
2: So in terms of uh, the, the King multiverse... Um... Who would you say your favorite character is?
4: Hmm. I have a hard time with favorites, but I would say some of... He, he's got some really idiosyncratic characters that stand out. Um, I think of Wireman from Duma Key. He's just a trip. He, he's a fun character. He's, he's you know He's sort of a secondary character, but he just pops off the page every time he says anything. And... A uh, sort of a comparable guy is uh, Henry Layden from Black House. And of course, he's probably a creation of both King and Straub, but he's another guy. Who, he's just a, a clever, smart mouthed, lively, vibrant guy. So, characters like that, even though they're not the main characters, but they stand out to me as how you can use little dibs and dabs to bring somebody like that to life.
3: I, I can dig that. I, it's such a huge. I mean, he's he's my. I don't. Want, I guess I would have to say he is my favorite author. Um, and I just I I love I love that he was doing the the like the connected universe before it was cool in Hollywood to have a, you know what I mean? Before sure. before everything had to be part of its own shared universe, he was doing that.
4: Oh yeah, and he started way back. Uh, you know, Cujo was one of the earliest ones that makes reference to Dead Zone, and then he sort of tosses it on its head because in the Dead Zone, Carrie is a work of fiction. They talk about you know that that like that movie Carrie, and so it's it's a connection, but it's the real world looking at King's other creations as part of a fictional world, which is sort of interesting.
3: Now, do you do you think? And and maybe there is an actual answer to this. Do you think that he did that uh, tongue in cheek, you know, uh, accidentally, and then it evolved into actually something that he consciously did, or do you think he had plans from the beginning to kind of make all of this tied in and and to create the universe? So was it was it accidental that people caught on to? So he just kept putting it in until it became a thing, or was
4: it a planned event? I don't think it was planned from the very beginning because he certainly generated a lot of short fiction uh, before his novels were published, that aren't really strongly tied to a larger universe. But I would say that probably the element that got this, kicked this off was the creation of Castle Rock. And so you have a novel which mentions Castle Rock and there's certain incidents that take place there in the dead zone. And then, you follow on and you create another story there, which is subsequent to that. And you would say, hey, the people who live in this town, well, they'll know about this other event that happened. So, you know, maybe I should mention that. Maybe there's some ties to it. And I think as Castle Rock became more of a thing in his creative world, the interconnectivity sort of took off as a concept and then extended into some of the the larger concepts. I'm not even sure that the Dark Tower started out to be part of a multiverse in the sense of connecting into so many of his other works. I think that just happened. And I think if you asked him about it, he would say he definitely didn't plan it because he always resists the notion that there's a master plan. He he calls himself an intuitive writer. Uh, He says things just happen and he goes with it and it just happens without any master plan. And so I, I have to take him at his word on that.
3: Great answer. That's really cool. Because I've always wondered, you know, because, you know, we all like to think, I think everybody that reads King uh, thinks that maybe they could be a writer too. Yes. And I I think he inspires that, especially when you write a book called On Writing and you have all all of his rules. (laughs) It makes you think that you can. I remember I bought that for Joe one time for, was it your birthday or was it for Christmas or what was that, Joe? Uh, I believe it was my birthday. I got up your birthday, and then uh, all, all of a sudden it was like <laughs> all of a sudden we're we're referencing it like like it's some sort of Bible, some sort of uh, ancient tome on like all you gotta do is read this book by Stephen King and you
1: can be a writer like Stephen King too. Well and then right, well my, and, and like ninety percent of that is just read E. B. White. <laughs> yeah.
4: Or not E. B. White, but uh, White and Strauss white, or whatever. Yeah, yeah Strauss and white, thank you. But but my earlier Bible from him was Don Macabre, because that yeah. came out when I was in university and just when videotapes became available. And so there was this list at the back of all these movies, most of which I'd never seen because I grew up in a small place. We only had one channel and no movie theater. And so here's this new world of movies. And we were going to the video store every week with this reference list saying, I got to watch this, I got to watch this, I got to watch this. And then the book list in the same way.
3: That is one of my prized possessions. There's this used bookstore by me. And every once in a while, I'll go in there on Thursdays, they have like dollar book day. And I found this old, like first edition dance macabre. And boy, is that it's almost under, I, I should probably have it under glass. I love that <laughs> book. <laughs>
2: Now, to step away from uh, King really quick, uh, you mentioned that you also do uh, works of fiction. Uh, where would you recommend readers who are coming into your work start?
4: Well, I, I, I sort of have two phases to my fiction uh, output. I, I started out doing primarily horror, and I've found over the years I've migrated more into the crime fiction side of things. Now, I've sort of interblended some of them, so I've written... Uh, vampire stories, which are detective stories at the same time. Uh, the current issue of Alfred Hitchcock Mystery Magazine, it's uh, the like, July-August issue, which uh, still on the, uh, the bookshelves, has a story of mine called Pain Man, which is uh, a wannabe superhero story. That would be a good one to start with. And then uh, fairly recently, uh, I have a story called The Honey Trap, and it was in uh, a Mystery Writers of America anthology called Cold Ice. And that one was edited by Jeffrey Deaver and Raymond Denson, both of whom have done uh, James Bond novels. And it's a Cold War story. It's set in Berlin in the 1960s. Uh, So if you saw Atomic Blonde recently, Atomic Blonde is like 20 years later in the same setting, but the same sort of strange universe that berlin was when it was behind the iron curtain all right and then cemetery dance has done this little series called cemetery dance selects and they're ebook collections by a number of us authors and there's one that's just called cd selects and if you look for the one under my name there's four stories in it uh they're all reprints and i think you can usually get that for like a buck 99 or 3.99 that would be a nice sampler if you wanted to see a diverse group of my stories Cool.
3: Speaking of Atomic Blonde, have you seen it? I have. What'd you think?
4: Kick ass. Loved it. But, uh, and, and, and the music is right up my alley because I was in the university in the nineteen eighties, and that was all the music we were listening to in the nineteen eighties.
3: Yeah, that uh, uh, the soundtrack's the soundtrack's great. The old boy esque long shot third act hallway fight scene
4: was it's worth uh, every penny you spent on that ticket, isn't it? And apparently she did about 80% of the stunts live. They wouldn't let her fall downstairs, but most of the hand-to-hand stuff was all her, to the extent that I read that she cracked several teeth. Mm -hmm. Wow.
3: It is, uh,
4: Nick, have you seen Atomic Blonde yet?
1: Good. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Nick, Nick, did you fall asleep?
3: No, I'm guessing he's on mute and doesn't know it. He's
4: scrambling right now, <laughs> trying to turn his mute he's trying to turn his mic back on. I no, mean, no, yeah, no, 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 no. It's not gonna make anybody's best of the year movie list, I think, but I certainly enjoyed it. It's it's a it's a good summer movie. It,
3: it's a it's a fun time, especially with all the um all the neon and I mean I'm a sex and violence guy, so you can yeah. you can you just won me over with Atomic Blonde.
4: And and Berlin was such a strange place because it was Very. this this vibrant city. In the midst of all of this darkness so it's like people were living life as if there was no tomorrow for 20 some years and it it was insane i I got to go there in the 19 like 1986 and i actually went through checkpoint charlie and spent some time on the eastern side and that was an experience so that's, that's why i have a bit of an affinity for these brilliant cold war stories i guess
3: that's a uh uh that's a whole other podcast you can come on and talk to us just about <laughs> East Berlin. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't we wouldn't be mad at that at all.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so other than other than King, what I mean, they, you know, they say write what well King says to write what you know, yeah. but uh, what what else do you read? What else What else are you uh, into uh, book wise?
4: I'm a big. Uh, crime fiction reader and also uh I, I like the uh crime series so i watch a lot of like british and scandinavian crime but uh let, let's see yeah, ray bradbury was obviously a, a huge influence on me from an early age uh I, i've read all of peter straub's stuff uh but i also go over into things like uh you know dennis Lehane and michael connelly sure. Uh, I just finished The Force by Don Winslow on my trip to Bangor. I read half of it going up and half of it coming back. Uh, yeah, so if, if you go to my message board, I, I keep a, a running list of everything that I read as I read it. Uh, so I, I've read, I'm have re- read i reading Joe Hill's collection, the new collection that's coming out now. It's called The Strange Weather. Uh I've, I've read all of joe's stuff i've read all of owen king's stuff too and i've, I've finished uh, sleeping beauties uh the collaboration Stephen and owen are doing uh yeah quite quite a i read a lot and quite broadly but i would say tending mostly towards crime fiction these days the touch of horror uh thrown in here and there uh sarah pinborough is somebody who i've read recently and her, her latest book, Behind Her Eyes, is uh, it's pretty clever. It's really it, they they warn you up front that there's an ending that will knock your socks off, and even wow. knowing, knowing that going in, very few people even have, get close to what the twist ending is. Wow,
3: that's cool. So right right at the start of the story, they tell you like, "Hey, the ending's uh, you're not going pro- to
4: All the promotion. I mean, the the, the oh, okay. Head-up. The hashtag WT, WTF? That ending. And, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, they made no. I mean, th- th- there are books that take you by surprise, like Gone Girl. Gone Girl really caught me by surprise halfway through the book when there's this huge twist. And if they told you there's a huge twist coming, it changes the way you'd read the book, and you might have said, "Okay, what's going on here?" This one, they made no bones about it. You're never going to guess in a million years. Just brace yourself. Weird shit's going to happen at the end. And, and what's the, what's the uh, name of the book again? called Behind Her Eyes, and the author is Sarah Pinborough. Hmm. Writing
1: that down. Mm-hmm. Good to know.
4: Yeah, <laughs> Joe Hill's another one. Uh,
1: our, our podcast probably doesn't give him as much love as he is due in terms of uh, the stuff that he writes that's right up our alley.
4: Yeah. Uh, the Fireman certainly is... Uh, an homage to The Stand as well as to J.K. Rowling's books. Well,
3: that's, that's, like two of my favorite things. The, the Stand mm-hmm. and
4: J.K. Rowling. Yeah. He said he got to, I, I interviewed him for, for the uh, most recent issue of Cemetery Dance about the fireman, And he said he got to a certain point where it was subconscious. He didn't realize that he was, doing so much that people could say that was influenced by the stand. And he got to a point where he had to decide do I get rid of it all because I'm, you know it's a little too close to home or do I embrace it? And he decided to embrace it and he went back and he actually tinkered with it some to strengthen the sort of ancestry so it's more obviously that it comes from the stand. There's character names that will remind you of characters from the stand and then there's the certain incidents that Know where the uh, inheritance on the sleeve. So, I mean, he, he went through a fairly significant part of his early career. Uh, you know, nobody knew who he was. So, he, he would never have done something like that then. But now that the world knows who he is, he's sort of embracing it. And in uh, 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 earlier books, uh, he and his father have actually sort of traded uh, cross references back and forth. Uh, so, like Dr. Sleep and uh, Nosferatu have some sort of interlinking characters and moments
3: I'm I'm glad That's we've excellent. got I'm glad we've got to the stand because it'll I think it's going to segue us into the the Dark Tower movie yep um the stand they did it they did the the made for tv miniseries for the stand with Gary Sinise and Rob Lowe yep and and Dauber from Coach <laughs> <laughs> and uh the Molly um, Ringwald. And Molly Ringwald, absolutely. Oh. And I, I think that if you were to talk casually to people, they would say that there hasn't been a good Stephen King adaptation to film or TV. And certainly, there are some that are worse than others. Like um, I remember watching the Langoliers and thinking, like they spent maybe seven cents on the CGI yeah. for that movie. <laughs> um, but then there's stuff like like Pet Cemetery, I think is still I think it still holds up. Um, I just rewatched uh, the the original It, and the the first half of it I think still holds up. It's I mean Tim Curry is great. Yeah. Uh, the second half, especially the the climactic scene where they got where they go down into the uh, into the caverns after Pennywise, uh, it just doesn't hold up. After, it's it's a mean, bit like it, having
1: like live actors in the dark uh, Dark Crystal. Yes. Um,
4: and, and I would say I was I was more fond of the, the kids than I was of the adults in that adaptation, too.
3: Yes, uh, absolutely. The, the
4: adults were certain... I mean, we recognized all of them as actors, but they weren't A-list actors, where the kids had a certain innocence and uh, credibility to them that enhanced that part of the story. So with, with
3: all that said, what are your feelings on... Uh, on the the Dark Tower, the the movie that comes out uh, tomorrow.
4: And... Uh, what are my feelings about? It? Well, I actually I saw it last night. Wow. Um, there was a special screening in Bangor. Uh, King's Radio Station uh, WZON held a sort of promotion, so people couldn't buy tickets to it; they had to win them through the radio station. And uh, so, he, uh, Steve was there for a few minutes before the uh movie started to so just sort of introduce it and they had giveaways they gave away you know dark tower books and signed galleys and t-shirts and all sorts of stuff and then we got to see the movie so yeah my, my, i have lots of feelings about it i <laughs> uh <laughs> are, are, are
3: should we be as nervous as we are about the runtime
4: no not absolutely the, the, the runtime is the least of anybody's worry um I mean, yeah, I was aware of the, the stir around it, but you know, 95 minutes is longer than uh, stand by me was. So if you want to put that in that context and there's a oh, lot wow. of story in stand by me, stand by me was like 89 minutes. Um, so yeah. And that movie the, feels the, like three hours thinking about that's it. That's good so. perspective. Yeah. yeah. And, and so the, the, this movie is exactly as it long, as long as it needs to be at the tell of the story that it's telling. Um, I would say that the only reservation I have about it is that anybody who is looking for a literal adaptation of the books will find things to take issue with because this is not a literal translation in any sense of the word. And the sort of uh, way they shoehorn into it is by saying that this is the next journey. And for people mm-hmm. who've read the series, we know what that means without spelling out too much about the uh, the spoilers for the end of the series. Um, so there, are, you'll see things in the movie that you recognize from the books, certainly. All sorts of them. I mean, the characters definitely, Man in Black, Roland, Jake. There are elements of the story in Midworld and in Earth which are, you'll say, yeah, I know all that. But then there's there's a lot that's just quite different. And I'm okay with that. Um, and the the comparison I make is to uh, Dolores Claiborne, the movie, which, to my mind, is one of the vastly underrated adaptations. And what what they did in that movie was they pulled the book apart because the book is just one woman telling her story. It's all sort of in one room, and it's narrative. They pulled it apart. They got to the core of what the book was about, and they reassembled it into something new, which completely captured the essence of that book. And I think that they have succeeded in strong measure, from my perspective, with the Dark Tower.
1: That really allays
4: my fears. There's Roland, there's Jake, and there's the Man in Black. And this is really the story of Roland's narrow, single-minded pursuit of the Man in Black, the Man in Black's fairly single-minded goal to bring down the Tower, and Jake being thrust into the middle of all of this. And that's what the story of this is. There's a lot more, of course, to the seven-volume epic of the series, which doesn't even get touched. But they do draw elements from clearly at least three of the books. Gunslinger, The Wastelands, and The Dark Tower, the final book. But that leaves lots for subsequent work, whether it's the television adaptations that they're considering doing or, you know, Nicholas Arcella said the next thing he'd like to tackle is sort of, okay, let's jump into the drawing of the three for the next movie. So I think there are people who are going to be upset because it's not, you know, it's not the gunslinger. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. not that story. There are things that happen in this movie that have no corresponding elements in the books at all. Uh, But... I came away from it thinking, yeah, this is this is Roland Duchaine, this is my gunslinger, and he and Jake, their evolution from where they start when they first meet to where they end up at the end—that's what this is all about. And I was really quite happy with it.
3: Well, it, it gives me great comfort hearing you say that. Uh, yeah, what a what this a This is relief. my this is my gunslinger. That that right there just made me. Uh, I think it's going to win the weekend. I think it's, you know, gonna it's be, yeah
4: definitely going to win the weekend. Yeah, I mean, that, it's it's, it's going to be
3: successful, and I and I also like hearing you think that they're talking about pulling from the drawing of the three for a sequel because I, I heard there was a TV show and then I get all confused because I'm not a clever man and um I, I, well, the, the the idea that Ron
4: Howard and Akiva Goldsman came up with originally was to take the epic stuff for the big screen and then take the more intimate. Uh, Character-based stories and do them as limited TV series, and so things like um, the backstory in Mages uh, from Wizard and Glass. That's, that, that, that's what they're sort of playing with as the, the the interstitial TV series, or you know, Eddie's backstory with his with his brother and all of that. But there, mm-hmm. There's the contemporary story in the Drawing of the Three, but then there's the backstory. And if you're going to do big screen stuff, you can't get bogged down with too much angsty backstory stuff. And that—that's right. the sort of story that they could reserve for uh, another subsequent miniseries. Too much television. time in toll. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. And, and that's so this, this movie is 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 fast paced. I mean, there there are small character moments, but this is going from shitstorm to shitstorm things get bad, things get worse. There, there, there are gunfights all over the place. Uh, and it's, it's sort of, it really carries you along. And so this 95 minutes or whatever it is, it's, it's over in no time, but it's, you feel like you've been through the ringer. Excellent. (laughs) Yeah. What what a relief to
1: hear. Oh man, this has been my favorite book series since I was 15. Uh, which is, it's only like 10 years, but,
4: Oh, I mean, the I'm audience. So last night, the audience last night. I would say, I mean, I, I don't know, didn't know any of the people personally, but they the, certainly the audience responded quite well to it. And I have to assume mm. that a significant number of them had never read the books. And I know that a few people in our group that I talked to afterwards hadn't read the book, and they liked it too. So, so that's always the um, the issue when you're making a movie like this is you can't make it for the fans mm-hmm. of the novels because readers are only a small percentage of the movie going audience. And if you if you tailor it to them, you're going to leave out eighty percent of the viewership. Well and, and and you're gonna you're gonna try and,
1: and please everybody's different imagined view of the characters. Right. Right. Like I mean, and
4: as soon as you and as soon as you cast anybody, you're gonna say well absolutely that's not, that's not whether it's Idris Elba or anybody at all that you cast well that's not how I pictured him uh so no yeah. no me either
1: i mean it's it's very clear he was going for like
4: uh uh clint eastwood and uh, dirty harry yeah and, and i love it I've, I've seen him in a I, ton of stuff um he he was in the, the the series the wire uh and he played a drug dealer but he was sort of like a a well-educated or he wanted to educate himself to get himself out of this, this Baltimore drug stuff and then there's this british crime series called luther luther and, and and Luther is probably the closest thing to Roland. He's dark. He's brooding. He, you know, he would rather shoot than talk, kind of guy. Uh, but, but clever in a sort of Roland clever, you know, way of seeing through things. Mm-hmm. So as soon as the, as soon as his name was announced, I was saying, "Oh yeah, I'm on board for this." I, m- much more so than any of the other names that they'd tossed around before. Mm.
3: I, you know, yeah, absolutely.
4: Uh, I was pumped. I, I'm I'm not
3: familiar with with that shortlist. Who were the other names?
4: Well, if you, uh, if you got a couple. Russell Crowe.
0: Ugh.
4: Javier, Javier Bardem was the first one that uh, Ron Howard had locked in when he, the project was with uh, Universal, I think. And and that was an interesting choice because, uh, you know, if if you've seen No Country for Old Men, mm-hmm. uh, he's got that sort of off kilter. You know, he ain't from around here. You know, and I, I could yeah, see he's got that. the look. Yeah, I, I could, I could have seen that working, but what, once they said Idris Elba, I said, "Oh yeah, definitely that can work."
3: Russell Crowe would have been a terrible decision.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, just I, I agree. ham, ham fisted <laughs> Russell Crowe. Yeah, wow. But, but, but you know, it's funny because I, I interviewed Ron Howard and, and Akiva Goldsman for my second Dark Tower book, the Dark Tower Companion, five years ago. When this thing was all getting rolling, mm-hmm. and you know, having Akiva Goldsman on the line, I said, you know, let me uh, pitch you on my uh, suggestion for uh, Roland. And I don't know if any of you have seen the the TV series Justified. Yeah, but, but Timothy Oliphant would oh, have boy. been a choice. And that'd have been a good pick. And Akiva Goldsman liked the idea, but he said he he he's not a big enough name to open franchise. And that's the other thing that they're playing with here is, you know, if you're going to start this huge franchise of movies, you got to go big or go home and they need big names to launch something like that and Timothy oliphant just to his way of thinking wasn't quite up there high enough to uh, to pull that off. Hmm. Well now, what one last
3: question before we uh pivot to the end of the show here, but do you put any credence to especially having seen the movie this idea that, um, like, the Dark Tower, the, the new remake of It, like, it's, it's all part of a Stephen King cinematic universe. Is that, is that
4: happening? I don't know that that's the case. I mean, people who have been making King movies fall into two camps. There's the ones who play it straight, and then there's the ones who like to give a little wink and nod. Uh, to the the larger universe, and I, I think that with it and the Dark Tower, we're seeing the latter to a certain extent. I mean, there, there are certainly a, a goodly number of Easter eggs in the Dark Tower movie, and and some of them are a little bit on the subtle side, and some of them are like there's Cujo walking down the street, you know, and and that's I think because the director Arzola is a big Stephen King fan, and he's aware of this sort of larger world and said okay you know some of these people who are going to come see this are going to appreciate it if we throw in these little things but i'm not sure that i buy into the sort of marvel shared world universe in the movies uh mean i'm not sure what it will do in terms of branching out beyond what is already in the novel uh in terms of crossovers uh it, it may be more of a contained, okay, this is the book. We're not going to go way out here and pull in. I mean, Christine shows up in the novel It. So, I mean, there, there's there's clearly stuff there already they can work with. And I'm not sure that they will go far beyond that. I was
3: just, I, I've been thinking a lot about the scene in eleven twenty two sixty three where um where Richie and Bev are, yeah. like, dancing in the town square. I mean, that movie has a direct tie-in to both It and... The, the dark tower series. Yeah. And and,
0: and
4: you know it, it, and you know people have played with it a lot there was the TV series Haven on Sci-Fi and it was based very very loosely on the Colorado Kid but every every episode of that show had some little wink or nod to a Stephen King character or a Stephen King location or an incident. I mean they were very deliberate about it. You'd see a copy of the talisman on a bookshelf somewhere or there would be a character name that was one of these unique names that you'd say, oh yeah, that's from such and such a book. So they really did that deliberately. Um, Whereas I've seen the first handful of episodes of Mr. Mercedes, and I would say that that's a case where they're playing it very straight. Um, This is an adaptation of the novel. We're not going to go out and litter it with all of these winks and nods. This is a serious crime story. We're going to expand as necessary from the novel because we've got all this extra time and this extra, you know, real estate and it's a visual medium. We're going to do these other things, but it's not going to be part of a broader cinematic universe. That's my feeling.
3: How wonderful is Brendan Gleeson in that? He looks wonderful. He
4: he is really, really good. But the, the revelations to me are, uh, uh, Holland Taylor is in it. She played the mother on two and a half men and she plays, uh, bill's next door neighbor she's not not a character that's not in the novel it's somebody they brought in to sort of give bill a lifeline to humanity and she is so funny she just cracks me up in every scene and then they changed the character's name uh, the woman who works in the um uh, the best buy clone store i think she's freddie in the uh in the book the i think they call her lou in the uh, tv series she is just sarcastic and bitter and biting and you just love her she's just such a good actress and she makes this character really really fun
3: well now i gotta watch mr mercedes
4: starts (laughs) in a week i guess
3: Uh, (laughs) yes it does yep so we we wrap up every show by doing this thing, we call it Geek Weekly, and we talk about what we've been geeking on this week. We've been geeking and uh, and we always give our guests the choice. They could go first, or they can go last.
4: I think I will go last.
3: Bold choice. We're going to start with Rob. All right.
2: Uh, let's see. I have just got the Cimmerillion and the Unfinished Tales. Um of Numenor and Arda, and uh, I I guess if any of you guys have listened to the show before, um, and I know you guys know this, but uh, I haven't read any Tolkien, much to my chagrin, so I am getting ready to do a deep delve through the entire series. I've already got The Hobbit and uh, The Lord of the Rings, and so I've decided I'm going to do it chronologically, starting with the Cimmerillion and making my way all the way through. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm gonna. Uh, this is going to be a really interesting uh, delve into Tolkien and the world of Middle Earth. So
3: that's That's, a, that's an endeavor. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, it's gonna take me some time, but
1: I am. I'm very it's, excited for it. It's swimming in the deep end all the way.
2: Yeah, <laughs> diving in head first. Case,
1: case you hadn't noticed yet.
2: Uh, I, uh, I, I've i gotten a little ways into the uh, Asimarilyn at this point, and man, it, uh, even the opening makes it feel like you're getting ready to go through, like, religious text and, like, a tome of knowledge mm-hmm. and information. Like, within the first couple of lines, you're just like, oh, this is this is dense. Mm-hmm. This is this is a lot. Oh, it's so good.
1: Oh, I love no, it. I love, I love it so it. much.
2: Like, I, I love it so far, and I'm, I'm very excited to progress my way through it, but... Holy man. Holy hell. Oh, yeah.
1: it <laughs> holy man holy way.
2: Man. Holy man way. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> so
3: I swear if I see, um, like, um, New line and Peter Jackson to uh, adapt Silmarillion for the big screen. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to I'm going to drink. Hours. I'm going to drink myself to death.
1: <laughs> I said, just don't drink yourself to get death. Just get him a handgun and a bottle of scotch and send it to him. Yeah,
3: I, I, I can't do it. It'll be, it'll be like a nine movie deal.
1: Well, maybe anyway. we'll get lucky and they'll put it on stars or something. <laughs> But, uh,
2: yeah, so that's where I'm
1: at. Uh, Joe, what about you? Well, it should be obvious that uh, I'm just geeking on the Dark Tower this week. Uh, this Earlier this week, I recorded a, a bonus episode for the Sci-Fi Movie Podcast, uh, which you can get if you uh, go to patreon.com and search for the Movie Podcast Network. Um, uh, Matroid and I talked for about four hours about the Dark Tower. <laughs> Uh, and it was glorious. Uh, I just finished book seven for my second time uh, yesterday morning, and hopefully tomorrow night I'm gonna go see the movie. So I'm just I'm totally Dark Towered out.
0: And and,
4: and you, segue to that is you really should then now jump into the Road to the Dark Tower. So that that yes. book I've, I've heard people have recommended that. <laughs> one to,
3: to up. <laughs> I will certainly be
4: checking
1: that out next. <laughs>
3: Uh that episode uh Joe that you recorded with Matroid, I believe that your four hours is part of a series of interviews Matroid did with other uh um, That is correct. There's an
1: hour at least.
3: Yeah, it's going to be uh I, I believe it's clocking it around. Oh, um, okay. That's before editing though. So maybe it'll be like right. six hours long.
4: Yeah.
1: So Strap uh, in, well, <laughs> strap in. It's Good stuff. Uh, Rye, what are you geeking on this week? Uh,
3: two things. Um, first of all, thanks for giving me access to your Hoopla account. Oh, no, no
0: um,
3: problem. I have really been, uh, I've been listening to some Sam Keen. Uh, I, I'm re-listening to the uh, the tale of the dueling neurosurgeons. Um, mm-hmm. excellent. Big fan of his. Uh, but then I, I just started listening to a book by William Forstchen, not foreskin. I promise it's not. It's F O R S T C H E N Forstchen. Ah. But it's called co- it's called One Second After, and it's uh, it's a story about um, uh, a foreign entity uh, basically taking down the United States with an EMP. Um. <clears throat> And it's very much like Revolution, before Revolution got weird. <laughs> um, back so from like the Revolution
1: show. in the first three, four episodes? <laughs>
3: yes, even to the point where the, the the main character's name in this book is John Matheson. Oh my gosh. Ah. Um, so I, I always thought Revolution was kind of a, a S.M. Sterling, dies the fire type take. But it's obviously they pulled from this book as well. Um, so I've been listening to that, and, and the other thing, uh, as some of you know, I am one of the admins of the now fifty six thousand person large wow. Song of Ice and Fire discussion group on Facebook, and um, there's a reason they call it the big group. Oh boy, I'll tell you, that's it's been taking up a lot of time.
1: I can see they, that. I I I uh, I've been having fun. Going in, trolling people, walking out. There are just some dense
3: people in the world, man, who just cannot. uh, Oh, man. They don't like rules and they don't. The amount of times we've said, like, hey, no name calling. And then they come back with, like, well, fuck you too. Like, okay, well, I guess you don't want to be in the group. Right. We've had a record amount of ads, uh, people requesting to join, um, and a record amount of bans this week. Yeah, the number of
1: gray names has been outstanding.
3: So, so that's where we're. That's that's uh, that's what I've been doing a lot of this week is spending a lot of time because it's. Uh, I'm kind of a night owl, and uh, Mama Bear Kelly is also a. Well, she's in Australia, so oh, she's so it like. Oh, so There's always like two of us on, and uh, Jesus, it's just. Uh,
1: Our uh, uh, Lieutenant D- John Dunbar and Phoebe feasting well.
3: Yes, I've
1: of, I've of banned a lot of I've banned a lot of people this week.
3: I've drawn a line in the sand that if you make fun of Sansa Stark's rape, um, it's an instant that's, ban. That's I don't, a good line. That's yeah, a good line in the sand. Just, that's the line in the sand. That's what I've drawn.
1: So. Line in the Sansa.
3: Yes, I I caught myself. Uh, Nick, how about you? What are you kicking on this week? Still trying to find his mute button. <laughs> Still trying to find his mute button. Okay, excellent, <laughs> Mr. Vincent. <laughs> how about you? What are you geeking on this week?
4: Um, well, you know, obviously, The Dark Tower. Um, saw that yesterday, and I when I got back from Bangor, I had a copy of the uh, the nice big art book that they've done, the uh, the art of the film, The Dark Tower, that uh, was waiting for me. That's a, it's a gorgeous volume. Um, but in addition to that, um, I, I was rapping with a bunch of people up in Bangor about this uh, new series on Netflix called Ozark.
1: Ooh,
3: and
4: And it's, if you had to pitch it in an elevator, I'd say Breaking Bad meets Justified. Ooh. Um, Yes. Justin Bateman and Laura Linney are the stars. Um, He plays a guy who, in Chicago, gets himself into some serious trouble with some very bad people. And to save his life, he has to pluck his whole family up and move down to Missouri, I believe it is, um, where he is... um, Given the task of having to uh, launder a vast amount of money in a very short period of time, um, and so it's uh, it, it's a very tense, uh, dark uh, thriller. It's ten episodes. I think I'm only I'm only four in, but uh, I've been hearing good things about the whole thing.
3: Uh, I am one in, and your description of I've been describing it as 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 uh, Breaking Bad meets um white collar crime. Yeah. And so that's to hear you say you describing it the same way makes me feel very good about how I've been picturing it in my head. It is a uh it's got one of the most excellent uh sudden deaths i've seen on tv in a long
4: time and and one of the best reactions to that sudden death yes yes (laughs) just the way he
3: just kind of says like uh oh okay i'm out of here (laughs) is pretty wonderful so where uh where can our listeners uh find your work where can they interact with you online um Uh, if if you want them to interact with you online that is
4: oh yeah well it depends on what the one they want to interact with me about. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm on Facebook, obviously. But um, in that realm, I tend to be fairly uh, benign. Um, if you find me at Bev Vincent on Twitter, you may uh, learn more than you care to know about my political leanings and my issues with politics these days. Uh, I'm much more vocal about my political side there. Uh, BevVincent.com, you'll find a message board and uh, all of my credits and things like that, my books, short story publications, essays, all that stuff. And I'm also sort of dabbling into Reddit a little bit. I'm on the Dark Tower and the Stephen King subreddits there, but I I still haven't quite embraced Reddit that much yet.
3: Reddit, th- it well, time. better Reddit, then.
4: better Reddit than 4chan, they say. Yeah, no, I've, <laughs> heard I've heard enough about 4chan. Say that's not my. <laughs> but,
3: uh... Well, uh, this has been uh, an honor and a pleasure. This has been uh, a long time coming for us. We've never really dedicated a whole show to Stephen King, and that's uh, in four seasons or in three and a half seasons. That's uh, that's solely on us. We should have done this sooner.
4: Yeah, you know, I have um, to say I'm really, really glad we didn't get into the donuts stuff because you really got, had had me uh, scratching my head on the donuts. <laughs> <laughs> next time. Next time. <laughs> and
3: uh, and please, I hope there's a next time. We'll uh, we'd love to have you on again. Okay, you
4: know where to find me. I'm Absolutely. always doing. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. And Take we will easy, uh, we'll you? talk to you soon. Okay.
3: That was that. Excellent. That that makes me feel very good.
1: Uh, yes. About this movie. I was but, really really worried about certain things, and I'm much more I relieved. Mean, I mean, I wish I would have
3: been. I wish I. I really wish I was going to be seeing it in Banger, but uh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> with with Steve, <laughs> right? Uh, but what are you going to do? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there'll, so. be uh, there'll be plugs. There'll be plugs. <sighs> Are there, are there plugs at the end of the show?
0: I don't know. Nico here. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Chap Snatter, and listen to our twats, especially from Rob Bass, as he will keep you up to date on all the latest and greatest going on with the show. Also, follow us on YouTube, iTunes, and RedTube. to five stars, we love you.
1: Hello, this is Sherlock Holmes. If you can't get enough Cartoon Joe, check out him. Check him out on this this freaking show podcast on uh, Saturday mornings at eleven a.m. Get on
2: over to our Patreon at patreon.com/slash/geekcastlive for special content perks and that warm fuzzy feeling that you're doing something awesome and helping out our podcast. We wouldn't be anywhere without you guys, and we look forward to bringing you geeky
3: content for a long time to come.